Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I am Amanda, also known as Lundberger. And I am Martin. You may know me as Inadequance. Um, today, we have a special guest on. We have Michael from Niantic. Michael, welcome in. How are you doing? Hey. Hi, doing good. Uh, a little bit of a, a lost voice, so apologies if my voice cracks throughout this. But uh, yeah, yeah, excited to be here. Your voice is cracking just because you're so emotional that we're uh, talking about these subjects of Pokemon Go, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't contain myself. So on, on that note, a little bit, um, For I mean, I'm pretty sure that everyone knows who you are, but give a little brief explanation of who is Michael for those who are listening to the podcast. Sure. Uh, hi, my name is Michael. I'm an uh, employee at Niantic. I'm the live game director for Pokemon Go. Um, my team sort of oversees... Uh, Everything from, you know, seasonal production to new Pokemon launches, avatar items, costumes, um, you know, uh, seasonal move changes and in, in PvP. Uh, yeah, lo lo lots of uh, different things. But um, anything that you consider something that you engage with on a daily basis in Pokemon Go, essentially. How, how, did, you, how did you get in there? Oh, okay. Uh, good question. If I may um, ask. Yeah, so I've always been uh, a big Pokemon fan my whole life. Um, you know, maybe a uh, little known secret about me is I, you know, I was even into very competitive Pokemon for a while. Uh, and, you know, I used to run a uh, competitive Pokemon fan site, actually, for a, a number of years, too. Um, so, you know, it was always kind of a, a dream for me to be able to work on a, uh, anything Pokemon related. Um, I feel like this is going to be a longer story than it should be, but uh, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. Uh, after college, I was very fortunate. I actually um, uh, got a job at PlayStation uh, out here in the Bay Area, um, and I was there for about six and a half years, considered that very much a, a dream job um, for, for me, uh, just working in the gaming industry. Um, but then I saw the announcement trailer for Pokemon Go, and was really, really interested in, in that as a game. Um, it was kind of like a dream come true uh, sounding game. And when I found out that the company that was making that was also in the Bay Area, um, yeah, I had to throw my hat in the ring. Um, when I applied, I actually applied for a, a completely different role. And uh, after interviewing there or here, um, the CMO, was talking to me and said, you know, hey, um, I know you applied for this one role. It's actually an ingress role. <laughs> um, but based on your experience at PlayStation, uh, where most of what I worked on was really these sort of experiential uh, moments for, uh, for PlayStation fans, um, he told me that Niantic really wanted to double down, triple down on live events in Pokemon Go. Um, and so they actually wrote a completely new job description uh, for me. And so, um, yeah, I mean, how do, how do you say uh, no to that? Uh, so yeah, I started off at Niantic uh, at first overseeing all of just our, our live events, um, created, you know, GoFest, Safari Zones, Community Days. Um, and then from there, I kind of brought in my, my scope to, um, well, I was first focused on a lot of the, the marketing side of things, and then over time brought in my scope to the product development side. So, yeah, sorry. Like I said, a little bit of a, a long story, but um, 
yeah, really happy to be here. Yeah, no, I I don't think it's too long. I think I find all of that very fascinating because I think Pokemon Go is such a huge part of like all of our lives. And it's really cool to hear like someone getting into it from like all these different facets, right? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the PVP component of it. You said you you ran yeah. like a, a, a fan sort of site for PVP. And yeah. we were just talking a little bit before we started recording. You said Machamp is your favorite Pokemon. Are you yep. responsible for making it so darn good in uh, PVP? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could take credit for that. No, uh, one of our original game designers on Pokemon Go who um, led the charge on, on PvP in Pokemon Go did all of the initial like move balancing and whatnot. And so he uh, he made Machamp pretty great. And as you know, we haven't made that many changes to Machamp over the years, just added payback to its uh, move pool for Community Day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just always been uh, so awesome. And uh, especially Shadow Machamp, once you know, right. if you have like shield advantage or something, Shadow Machamp can tear through so many teams. Uh, and yeah, I love that it's also viable in, in all three metas, um, which is, uh, you know, only a small handful of Pokemon can, can make that claim. <laughs> I heard you briefly mention uh, the movesets there. This season we had a whole list of movesets. How, how did it come to this? Because this is the first time that we have like, I must admit, I didn't count exactly how many Pokemon got a new <laughs> move, but uh, like, how did it come to this? Yeah, well, you know, we just uh, wrapped the um, the Play Pokemon uh, World Championship uh, in August, so it felt like this was a really great uh, time and opportunity to make as many uh, changes as as we wanted to. Um, I know that there was some, you know, uh, back and forth in the community about, you know, if this, uh, if these move changes were significant enough. I think that's something that would always be subject to debate. Um, but uh, at least from from my feeling, we're seeing a lot more diversity in the metagame. Of course, there's still some staples like Metacham and, and Lantern, um, but I don't know, seeing quite a bit of variety and. Uh, for those who don't know, we're actually recording this just minutes after the um, the Pittsburgh Championships just wrapped. I think there were like 11 unique Pokemon in the in the Grand Finals, which is really cool to see. Um, and yeah, something that I'm also enjoying is the the top uh, flying type now is also part ground, which makes grass types a lot more viable. Mm -hmm. um, so even though you see something like Lantern might still be uh, fairly strong. A lot of can a lot of counters to lantern have also um, gone up in viability in the metagame. Um, so you know, including the dominant flying type, which it used to counter. So I feel pretty good about uh, the the changes this time around. And yeah, like I said, um, coming after wrapping the world championships really felt like a, a good moment to um, make as many changes as possible. I do think that uh, that the fall of Noctowl really changed things. Like one of the my favorite open Grey League metas before was at the time of Liu. That was when Medicham and Lickitung were super strong together, right? It was an unbreakable mm -hmm. core. It was also the most flexible core. And while right. I am a man of spice, someone who likes to core break these kind of meta things, um, I do think it just gives the meta a lot of flexibility, right? There's sometimes Registeel on Lickitung, but that's as far as it really goes as time uh, as, as, an, as an RPS, right? Um, yeah. How do you get to the, the, the thoughts of, of these changes, right? What makes you decide, oh, we should nerf this Pokemon? Is it the usage of it? 
Yeah, we look at a number of things. Um, so, you know, we definitely have usage, usage stats on, on our side. Um, but something you might not think about is we, we look at usage stats across different uh, um, ladder ratings, essentially. So you can see what people are uh, primarily gravitating towards in the, you know, 2000 to 2500 meta to the 2500 to 3000 to the, you know, 3000 plus. Um, and we always want to uh, balance in a way that uh, continues to keep things fairly accessible to, to players, or at least, you know, maintain some uh, Pokemon that are uh, meta relevant, which can be accessible. And then also have, you know, some Pokemon that are sort of chase Pokemon that you can really work towards over time and, and, and reap the rewards of all of that investment. Yeah, I can imagine like if you really nerfed Metacham hard, especially after the season when everyone sees it so viable and then people who are maybe just starting the game are like, wait, I was like, I just got enough XL candies and now I don't even get to use this Pokemon. But yeah, uh, I, I know you can't give away too much of the, the secret sauce of how uh, you guys choose it all, but it's yeah, I just find it all very fascinating. And if you could give like maybe not a tip or maybe some advice to someone who is starting PVP, what are some Pokemon that you would suggest that people start with in this realm since you are looking at all the different uh, ladders? Yeah, great question. Um, actually, the advice I would give is to try to link up with your local community and especially people who've been playing for, for a while. I know one of the uh, most difficult things for newer players to get a hold of like, yes, it's the resources, which take a lot of time, but sometimes it's also the uh, exclusive moves, right? The Hydra Cannon on Swampert, the Blast Burn on Charizard. Um, but for those things, for many players uh, who've been playing for a while, they might have quite a few extra that they'd be willing to, to trade you. And so if there's something that's not in rotation, um, if there's something that, you know, you don't have the elite CM to, to clear, um, Usually a lot of like local players will be willing to lend a hand and, and trade something over. Um, that being said, in terms of accessible Pokemon that are quite viable, you know, Swampert is always the uh, one that I um, think of. I think it's just incredibly strong, uh, especially the, the Shadow version. You know, you, you, you would have to wait for a Team Go Rocket uh, event to remove um, frustration off of it. but. Shadow Swampert will be a, a meta staple, I think, pretty much for forever. Um, uh, Lantern is still an uh, incredibly viable Pokemon, even though we we nerfed it. Um, still very, very strong. Gligar right now is uh, tip top of, of the meta um, and also a fairly easy one to um, get the resources to, to power up and use. Um, let's see, what else would I would I recommend here? Honestly, the, the starter Pokemon with their um, exclusive moves are really great because they don't take a lot of Stardust or a lot of candy to, to power up. So, you know, again, I, I definitely encourage people to try to find their local communities and um, trade for those exclusive moves. And as you're starting out, the other thing I would uh, say is, you know, don't get too caught up on, on the IVs at first. I think it's actually more important to get a feel for things. Um, and especially at lower ranks, you know, the, the IVs aren't as critical. Um, so I think it's more important to get yourself like a, a starting team, understand, you know, how the flow of a, of a battle can, can go. 
Um, and you can always build a second, you know, Swampert or Venusaur or what um, So yeah, that, that's kind of what I would say there. Now that you mentioned that this is straight right after Pittsburgh, uh, I think I also heard that at Pittsburgh there are also like unique unique uh, spawns and unique uh, mm. research, special research, right, for specific beef people. I believe it's Axon's full world's team uh, you can get out of research. Is that also the thought behind that to give newer players more accessibility to those kind of Pokemon? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I... It's Axon's team had the benefit of not actually having any any like legendary Pokemon or mythicals or anything like that in it. So it was something that we felt pretty comfortable being able to create a, a research uh, in honor of, of his uh, championship run. Of course, some of the Pokemon in there are no longer as strong as they used to be, right? Like Noctowl and whatnot. But, um, but Metacham, of course, is still very um, strong. Um, but yeah, so it was more like a, a nod to that than anything else. The spawns themselves are intended to give players uh, a little bit of a, you know, leg up on on early competition, right? So you can go there and and catch uh, a bunch of Wulu to uh, get a, a good double, which is really strong in both Great League and uh, Ultra League. Uh, and we also have um, increased Stardust uh, rewards for for catching Pokemon, which and a Stardust can sometimes be. Uh, some of the most you know challenging resources to um to accumulate as you're getting started in the game um so yeah i, I highly encourage players if you're you know uh if you live nearby a, a regionals or something coming up try to you know head out over there even if you're not going to compete uh watch as a spectator you'll be able to get to know uh, a lot of great competitors out there who you know could potentially mentor you or, or tutor you um and you can catch a lot of great Pokemon and get a lot of uh, Stardust, which will help you towards your, um, you know, getting your foot in the door in PvP. Yeah, also... and if you go to a European one, you can even see famous content creator inadequance, uh, <laughs> potentially. You could even play against him. Who knows? That's true. That's probably the biggest selling point, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so this, these bonuses, are these going to be in at, at every regional, like around the world, in, in Latin and Europe as well? That's the intent, yep. Yep, definitely. Um, you know, so it might be something that uh, feels a little bit stale after time for folks who go to multiple regionals and whatnot, mm -hmm. but the goal is to provide a, a really good opportunity for newer players. And, um, yeah. and yeah, especially when you go to these tournaments, it's not just Pokemon Go players, right? You mm -hmm. have TCG fans, you have VGC players. Um, and something that I've heard quite a bit uh, from these events is, a lot of those players find themselves interested in Pokemon Go after watching the the battles on mm -hmm. stream, um, and for them to easily you know log in and uh, and start catching Pokemon and potentially building a team is something we really wanted to uh, be able to provide. I mean, you say that this is stale, but uh, and no offense to last season, but I would take this <laughs> over the the monkeys. <laughs> the, the shiny ones well, may not. Any yeah. day. <laughs> We'll see how you feel in uh, August of next year. You can let me know if you, you still feel the same way. But, you know, I hope people do understand, too, that we are trying to build things in a scalable way over here. And um, so, yeah, hopefully we've, we've created something that will continue to be uh, exciting and, and worthwhile um, over time. Um, 
And yeah, it's always a little bit tricky too, because sometimes there's a global event taking place, you know, on the same weekend as a regional. And you never want to feel like you're making a trade-off of like, oh, I'm missing out on this awesome global experience by, by coming to the regional. So we're really trying to balance that as best as we can. So yeah. is that like scheduled uh, with, 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 the, with the Play Pokemon events as well? Like when you plan community days and... Uh, Last time, I think we had Hoenn Tour line up with the Bochum and Knoxville Regional. Mm -hmm. Is it all scheduled beforehand as well? Is there like an, a, a thought behind that? Well, I think the biggest challenge is just the sheer number of, you know, regionals and, and ICs that there are uh, through the Play Pokemon uh, series. If we try to avoid all of those, then there would be pretty much no weekend events in, in Pokemon Go, right? So what we've tried to do instead is... Uh, coordinate with the play Pokemon team so that we both know when each other's events are, are happening. Um, and we really try to beef up the convention centers that uh, the, the regionals and, and ICs take place at so that, you know, even players who are there and competing can uh, reap the, the benefits of, of those events. Um, so yeah, a little bit impossible to, to avoid, unfortunately, but hopefully we've done a good job over time, especially making those experiences uh, more synergistic. How far out in advance do you plan events? Like, I, I, are the community days planned out, like, really through the rest of the year? Do you do it just a couple months at a time? Or is it really at the yeah. beginning of the year, just like, okay, guys, this is uh, this is it for the entire time? Well, that's a great question. Um, we, we take a seasonal planning approach uh, on my team, and that, uh, that entire... Um, uh, planning from pre-production all the way to when the, the season finishes is about 10 months. Um, so it is quite a, a long lead time, um, but there's a lot that goes into uh, the development of Go. So um, yeah, I, I do think that's something that players might not fully uh, grok or, or understand. You know, they might think that like, you know, oh, Niantic's reacting to this or that, but um, the, the truth of the matter is a lot of these plans uh, have been set in stone many, many months before, you know, you ever even see an announcement about them. Um, so, yeah, uh, hope that answers uh, your question. So, and, where, and where can we get this list? <laughs> <laughs> Let me point you to some, uh, some open recs at Niantic and you know, maybe get the inside scoop that way. <laughs> um. So with more community days and uh, more movesets, we kind of also need more charge TMs. That's been uh, a bit of a hot topic at the moment. Uh, like, have you ever needed to TM your your Snorlax? That, that <laughs> you, you run out pretty quickly uh, if you, in, in some formats. Uh, no, I mean, I, I just had to go through... I don't even remember how many. I think it was over sixty for my for my Mew. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I did the same. Yeah. We've been there. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely know the the pain point and, and challenge there. Um, but honestly, what I would say to that is, TMs are are one of the few items in Pokemon Go that you can actually have a targeted grind for. You know, uh, if you take on the um, Tier three raids, as an example, are, are a great source of them. Um, definitely understand that it can be incredibly frustrating, especially if you have like an unlucky streak or, or what have you. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think if you're really like seeking them out, you have a path to, to get them in, in Pokemon Go. Um, 
especially for me after recently just wrapping up the um the global go fest i got a really nice uh, glut of, of tms coming from that because i was you know rating for uh rayquaza and, and whatnot so much so um yeah the the hope there is that uh we've created a little bit of a, of a closed ecosystem within gbl itself because you can get tms as rewards from the rewards track through through playing gbl and if that's not enough for for players um then you know we want to be able to give you like a a way to direct your uh, attention to to grind for them um I will also say the the TM challenge is is really funny because it, it just depends on who you're talking to and, and who you're asking. So folks who especially play a lot more like grassroots tournaments, as an example, um, are building a lot more different Pokemon for condensed metas and and whatnot. Um, so I do think that you know this community in particular can find themselves a little bit pinched on on the TMs front. But if you talk to other players um, who maybe are only playing like the GBL metas or only focused on rating or, or what have you, um, I know a lot of them are actually like deleting their TMs. So yeah, it's kind of a, I don't know, Pokemon Go is always really interesting in, in that way because you have to balance for both the, uh, well, all different types of, of um, players essentially. Yeah, I was actually just going to bring up that point because it's such a multifaceted game that, I mean, you know, we have people who are just shiny hunting and we have people right. who really care and are only, you know, grinding for dust because they need to build Pokemon for PvP. Yeah. Uh, I I have a local who we're lucky friends. And so I was like, oh, do you have any Pachirisu from, <laughs> uh, from the Global Go Fest? He said, no, I deleted them all. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, they're so valuable. He's like, no, no, I just needed it for the decks. And I was like, yeah, oh, that's, yeah. that's insane to me. Um, yeah. How how do you guys go about balancing? I, I mean, it's one of those things you can't make everyone happy 100% of the time. Um, and I think PVP has is starting to feel a little bit more of the love. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, what, what, is that, what is that balance and how do you reach it well? Yeah, I, I do think it, it really starts from we at Niantic have a really diverse uh, player base, right? So um, the folks who are building these different experiences have uh, a lot of unique uh, viewpoints on, on things. And that helps us really gut check ourselves, right? If, if we put together uh, a live ops spec and, uh, and I'm reviewing it, I'm like, whoa, there's like nothing here for, for PVP players to, to be interested in. Um, then we might adjust it slightly, you know, to to um, to sweeten the deal a little bit there. Uh, but we also take a, a pretty long uh, long term view of, of these types of things too. We know that not every event is going to satisfy every type of player, and that's okay. You know, some events will be a lot more appealing to the the shiny hunters that you mentioned, um, while other events might be a lot more appealing to folks who are like really hardcore into raiding, uh, and then others will appeal to, to PVP players. Um, yeah, like like you just mentioned, Pachirisu, Pachirisu, I feel like is the perfect example because that might uh, appeal to uh, the um, just the Dex completionists, um, but they don't care about the XL candies or you know trying to get the hundos like you might for for PVP. Um, so yeah, it is really tough, but we also try to. Uh, take the the long view and and make sure that over time 
um, there's something for everybody, but not every event has to have something for, for everybody either. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You talked about uh, your local community uh, for, for, for PvP Pokemons earlier. Mm -hmm. How do you see local tournaments develop over time? I think that's being a bit of a hot topic on Play Pokemon right now, right? I think in yeah. the United States it's possible to, uh, for, a, for I believe for a Pokemon professor, to host mm -hmm. uh, a tournament at game shop or something i'm not too familiar we don't have them here in europe yet um, <laughs> but how, how do you see that develop that to me is actually the biggest uh growth opportunity in, in the pvp space personally i think the play pokemon team has done a phenomenal job when it comes to all the like regionals and ic's and, and wcs and whatnot um but ultimately you can only uh you can only facilitate that for so many players, right? There's just a, there's a venue capacity, there's a travel capacity in terms of who can actually, you know, afford to go to the different ones. Um, and so from, from my POV, the most important thing to focus on in, in this season and, and moving forward are those local tournaments and making those more readily available, um, not just in the US, but globally. So we're working really uh, hard with our partners at the Pokemon Company to um, to expand on this and, and make this possible. Um, and we know that it's not just something that uh, the Play Pokemon team needs to, to focus on. Like we are uh, very much interested in um, supporting and like, you know, making those experiences as uh, attractive and memorable as possible to players. So nothing specific to announce on that front yet, but what I will say is, you know, keep your eyes open because this is an area that's very uh, near and dear to me personally and something that, you know, we've really been hammering on to try to expand upon because the ultimate goal for me is I would love for those local uh, tournaments to be sort of at the top of the funnel, right, for um, for competitive uh, Pokemon Go, where you as a casual player might show up to one of these because it takes place on the same day as Community Day, and you're already out playing with your friends anyway, so you might go in and check it out. And then once you get there, you are now introduced to other people who are super passionate about PvP, who can help you, who can you know show you the ropes, maybe trade some viable Pokemon to you, as we just discussed, and you know, grow the community that way. Because as exciting as the regionals and, and ICs and WCS uh, are to, to watch, I don't think they um, are as effective at you know, growing the broader PvP player base as local tournaments can be. Yeah, or even like at the GoFest and stuff, you know, they have the PvP battle arena. And I, right. in the past like couple of years, I've really liked that there's like someone there that is teaching new people. Right. And especially like children, you see like children are showing what they've caught and like the yeah. people are trying to help them figure out stuff. It's like, yeah, I almost got beat by a muddy water swamper. To, uh, was not <laughs> expecting it. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes it's a surprise uh, fix that, that'll get you. But uh yeah, ex exactly that. I, I think PvP especially um, is something where we, we've tried to build it in a way that's, uh, um, you know, easy to play but difficult to master, right? I think anybody can hop in and like, tap on their phone and, and feel like they're, you know, um, you know, battling effectively. But once you actually, you know, double click on, on things, uh, you'll find that there's so much more depth to uh, Pokemon Go PvP. But 
I do think that um, it's a lot easier to uh, attain that that mastery if you have friends in your local community that you can talk to about it and um, and learn from. So, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I think uh, that that's something I would love to see personally. Uh, in my region, there there's not a lot of the there's one regional tournament in my country. Like right. a year, at, at least I hope, right? At least I hope. Um, and that's basically where you meet a lot of Dutch, a lot of the Dutch community. But other than that, we don't really have PvP events right. where you really meet up for them. So that's something I would love to see uh, that they, you know, there will be like maybe a monthly or two monthly that a local tournaments hosted and, you know, more of the Dutch community meet up. So, um, yeah, and I'm sure that's like for other countries as well, right? So, yeah. United States. Yeah. I mean, at least you have a regional. I would love to have one in Belgium. Yeah, Belgium is, uh, <laughs> Belgium is uh, <laughs> you know my opinion of It's that. so much better. But... <laughs> it's so much better. Uh, I've never been to Belgium. I, I oh, have come to on go over, Belgium. Michael. Oh, uh, we, we, can do a, we can do a comparison. If, yes. if you host yes. a GoFest there, you have a reason to go. Good point. Good point. Yeah, uh, let's let's keep talking. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I think the I think the challenge on that front is threefold, right? Like mm-hmm. number one, um, we need to incentivize uh, these local mom and pop shops around the world to actually host this. So we need to provide them an offering that they can then expand out to um, to players to uh, attract them to to come check it out. Uh, number two, we need to also incentivize players to to go. Um, so that means, you know, creating some type of in-game incentive, whether it's PvP focused or not, um, to to get players to to go and attend these once the the hosts are actually hosting them. And the third is um, a challenge of marketing, right? Like, how do you effectively uh, broaden the the message that this is happening? Um, when a lot of these are kind of like one-off experiences that happen at local mom and pop shops at different days, different times, <clears throat> all around the world. So um, those are all things that we're working really uh, uh, closely on. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll see some really great movement on, on this front throughout the course of this season. Those are also good points that I think you bring into, and just to bring it back a little bit, we were talking about choosing the GoFest locations. I know that yeah. also is a marketing thing, right? There's a lot of uh, mm-hmm. things that go into deciding where these locations are. Um, and I know you have a 10-month plan. Does this also fit into your 10-month plans? Like, do you know how far in advance are you deciding where the different uh, GoFests are going to be, the different safari zones, these type of things? Yeah, those actually take even longer um, for us to put together. Um, whereas all the in-game stuff, obviously, you know, we have full control over that. And so that that ten month runway is, um, you know, leveraging our own internal resources. When it comes to something like a GoFest or a, or a major safari zone or a Go Tour, um, we usually have about a one year um, okay. turnaround. Now that doesn't mean that things are fully locked one year in advance, but you know, the planning essentially starts one year before we plan to host any of these, and that includes doing you know venue checks. Uh, you know, coordination with uh, local governments in different cities, um, getting uh, partnerships in place with cell providers to ensure that there's ample, you know, network connectivity um, at these sites, Um, working with our game designers to, you know, ideate on like a a fantastic experience that, you know, hopefully does something a little bit new and interesting for players every single year. It's incredibly complex and it touches on so many different, Stakeholders, both internal and external, 
that yeah, GoFest is is typically a one year endeavor. Um, and then when you consider the fact that we're to three locations around the year plus the global one, uh, it, yeah, it's it's quite a lot to to juggle. With the Osaka one being so close to worlds, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. was was that sort of planned in tandem? Uh, because that one was, I, mean, yeah. I mean, Hawaii seems like it'd be a, like a pretty strange place to have a global go fest because it's pretty difficult to get to. But I'm not uh, ruling it out. If uh... yeah, yeah, well, nothing to share on that front. But <laughs> uh, but you know, we did know in advance uh, the date and location for the um, the Yokohama WCS, and so we really wanted to. Knowing that we wanted to bring a, a GoFest to Japan again, um, we wanted to see what we can do to make that potentially one big uh, vacate, like Pokemon-themed vacation for, for fans who are interested. So I was so happy that we were able to pull that off. And, you know, I have a lot of friends personally who um, took advantage of that. And I saw a lot of posts on, on social from, from players who, you know, went to Japan for the first time ever and had their experience bookended by these two uh, incredible um, Pokemon uh, experiences. Yeah, It sounds like you're just describing me there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so cool. It was so cool to see so many people out there for that. And um, yeah, I, I know that that was like a dream come true vacation for a lot of players. Japan is like out of this world for Pokemon. You know, it's like you think you see big Pokemon fans other yeah. places, but especially Yokohama. And I don't know if it was just because of Worlds or if they're always like this much, but it's like <laughs> screens in the mall, you know, big like figures on the streets and yeah. uh, the, the drone yeah. show. I was like, dang, this place is cool. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a little uh, a little juiced up for, for <laughs> WCS and, and the Pokemon week that preceded it. Um, but what's really cool about Yokohama is the Pokemon company, you know, has hosted annual events there for, for many years. And so they have really great contacts with all the, uh, you know, movements and whatnot. So they're able to really take over that entire city. Um, and yeah, there, there's really nothing like it. It's it's so fun to to be a part of. Yeah, I felt like going into Japan for Pokemon. I think like the the Japanese community obviously also was super excited that for the first time ever the World Championships was there, right? So, I, yeah, I, it it exactly ex- uh, met my expectations. Honestly, uh, that that country just breathes it as well, right? Um, speaking yeah. of uh, Go Fest or in person uh, events. The next safari zones actually don't have a park, right? And don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. I actually love it because the 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 Go Fest, right, that we had in Osaka, mm-hmm. also had like yeah. a city experience. Yes, I, I loved it, especially because uh, apparently summer in Japan in August is is very hard to, <laughs> to bear at times. So it was yeah, nice to <laughs> it yeah. was nice to play in like a, a, an air conditioned mall at times, right? <laughs> um, but but how come that this time we don't have any park for the safari zones? Yeah, so that one, so these technically are not safari zones, actually. Um, I know that the branding is a little uh, nuanced and could be confusing, but uh, it's actually a brand new event archetype that we're launching called City Safaris. And the intent there is to find a more scalable solution to our live event experiences that lean a bit more heavily on the digital side but also encourage players to explore a full city rather than explore a park um, within a city. Um, yeah, so the the spec and the gameplay that you'll experience at a city safari is a little bit 
or a lot of it different than what you might expect at a, at a Safari zone. So I'm excited to see how players respond to that. Um, if things go well, that's something that we'll be able to offer in you know, many cities around the world uh, over time. Um, but Safari zones, as, uh, as we've grown to know and love, also aren't going away. Um, we're still going to be hosting Safari zones in the future. Uh, but at least as of right now, we wanted to try our hand at this new type of experience that leaned a little bit more on, you know, ex exploration of a full city, particularly because um, the city part of the experience from GoFest and GoTour was so um, well received by players. We wanted to try to lean into that a little bit more. I have one question. Um, and we can cut it if you don't want to, to talk about it at all. Sure. <laughs> how, do, how do people give you feedback or give Niantic feedback in a way that um, it can be implemented? Or are you guys implementing feedback that people are giving? Um, yeah. So um, after any major uh, IRL experience, we do send out post-event surveys to, to players. So, you know, check your email for those. Um, we look really closely at the responses there. Um, and there's a lot of uh, both quantitative uh, feedback that comes from that, but also qualitative ones too. So, you know, I think there are some like open um, uh, text uh, type of uh, answers that, that you can provide. Um, so we really do look at those. Um, we also uh, send out in-app surveys from time to time as well, just to get sort of like a pulse check on how players are, are feeling about things. Um, and of course we do read, you know, things uh, that people say on, on social media, um, whether that's, you know, Twitter, or Reddit, or, you know, um, different Discord servers or Facebook. But yeah, we're, we're definitely reading uh, feedback all the time. I think what's most important to us is making sure that we're getting a, a breadth of feedback from um, all different types of players, right? As we were talking about earlier, one of the cool things about Pokemon Go is it's played by so many different types of players who, you know, enjoy different parts of, of the game. Um, and we want to make sure that we're not just listening to a small subset of players and that we're just like super serving that subset. We want to make sure that we're like pulling in feedback from a, a really broad range of people. Um, and I guess the, the one I didn't mention that we also do is we do a lot of uh, user research. Um, uh, whether that's while we're building new features or while we're testing different uh, events and, and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, you might not hear about that very often because you do have to sign an NDA to participate in that, but we are uh, collecting direct feedback um, uh, through that user research as well. Just talking about that, how do you come up with the theme of every season? And is that also mm. plans ahead? Like yes. some events are? Yeah, yeah, that's all part of the um, the seasonal production that I had mentioned, where you know it's like a ten month cycle. Um, so typically, where we'll start is we'll want to you know look at what's happening in the real world. Right? Are there any major uh, events or holidays that we want to lean into? Um, and that will give us a starting point on what kind of events we want to host in the game. And as we look at the different events that we're putting together. Um, you know, we we try to layer in some type of like a theme or a brand um, for that season. Um, as you've seen over the course of many seasons that we've hosted, sometimes that can be a little more like generic or, you know, about going out and adventuring and things like that. But other times it's very specific. Um, and so, 
Yeah, we, we hope that every season feels kind of like unique and, and interesting in, in its own way. Um, and we're only going to be able to get better and better at that over time. We have one last question, but it's a two-parter. Actually, I okay. have one more question. Oh, one. okay, okay. So <laughs> this is one I added later to it. Um, <laughs> I saw the Shadow Raids teaser uh, earlier on the on the mm. Pittsburgh stream, right? And I heard yeah. Lugia's cry, right? And one thing that I personally have been hoping to see as someone who's been playing Pokemon since his childhood, um, do we get to see the Gale of Darkness Shadow Lugia at some point? It's like 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 the 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 Dark Pearl one, right? Yeah, yeah, I know it's so epic. Um, honestly, that's something that I I wish that you know I could I could say yes, we will bring that in in Pokemon Go. Um, but you know things like that uh, are unique to the games that they originate in, and it's very rare for um, brand pillars to to cross like that within the Pokemon universe. The other one that I would you know just die if we could bring to pokemon go is that like shadow mewtwo from pokemon tournament i don't know if you've, you've seen that one yep but yep, that's man cool that, that, that looks so cool uh and i would love 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 to to bring that uh, into pokemon go but yeah uh definitely challenges to to be had to to make that happen obviously those are characters that were developed by the teams that built those games um mm -hmm. and so you know Instead, something that I hope that we can do in Pokemon Go is maybe build our own unique, really cool um, versions of, of beloved Pokemon over time. All right, all right. Now can I ask it more time? <laughs> you have my permission. Okay. So it's a kind of a staple question that we have on the Stadium cast, and it's a two-parter. It is, who do you think in the PvP community would you classify as a Crabrawler? And this is someone who is you know maybe it's starting out pvp or it's like just not super well known but you think that they have a lot of potential and then yep. who is your favorite pokemon i'm a champion someone that you think yes they <laughs> are gonna go far they probably could win worlds you know this next season yeah uh i'll start with the champion one so I, I just continue to be super impressed by wadaj like one of the most consistent players we've we've ever seen uh he he literally just won the the Pittsburgh regional <laughs> an hour ago from, from this recording. So yeah, I would say I would put him on my champion list. Obviously, like Axon, I think could very likely uh be a, a two-peter on, on WCS. That would be incredible to see. But yeah, I think we've just seen Wadash just continue to improve over time. Uh, and he already started from such a strong place. And that's not just his gameplay either. Like I feel like maturity wise as well he's really um grown up uh through the um through his experience uh with the the play pokemon tournament so yeah i'm curious to continue to to watch him grow and, and evolve um and then for Cabrawler, yeah i i feel like i have to you know give a shout out to to one of my personal close friends uh, in the pvp community who maybe isn't as you know well well known as uh as um you know content creators or, or or whatnot but is incredibly consistent and is always you know toppling the the leaderboard and you know does uh pretty well whenever he does uh, attend a regional uh which is chem coop um really really strong uh i know he'll be attending some regionals um this this year so 
fingers crossed. I'm, I'm always rooting for him. He's a close friend of mine. I think he eliminated Mars High. Yeah, actually. he did. Yeah. And I see 2022. He beat me. <laughs> he's a really cool guy. So, yeah. Yeah, he's he's really really strong and uh, and probably you know not as well known as um, as his uh, skill might uh, dictate. All right, um, I've already asked you this before. I'm going to ask it again. When are we going to see you compete? <laughs> you've never, you've been legend before. You, you're pretty good at. I mean, you also beat me the last two games. When are we going <laughs> to see you? You're pretty good too. Yeah, I am a very competitive person. I, I'd, I'd love nothing more to compete. I, I always joke that someday I'm going to quit my job at Niantic just, <laughs> you know, just so I can enter these tournaments. But mm -hmm. yeah, unfortunately, a little bit of a conflict of interest. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm not allowed to, to that compete. That makes sense. You can't be slapping all of us uh, on, the, <laughs> on screen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to do you all a favor. But um, no, you know, I, I'd love to, you know, hop on and maybe do some exhibition games or whatever that that's always fun i was invited to do an ex exhibition match at the pjcs oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yep yeah um so yeah i'm always open to, to doing things like that but um unfortunately i can't officially compete Fair. well we'll uh we'll be in touch maybe we can get you in at uh to do some exhibition matches in eu <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great that'd be so fun absolutely yeah thank well, you so much yeah. uh, michael for uh for your time for uh coming on yeah, and for your honest answers and like I'm, I'm sure a lot of the community is like really like will find this very informative and also you know relatable as well great yeah i'm, I'm glad to hear it uh i'm always happy to, to hop on and, and chat and you know big fan of both of you so uh yeah when you reached out i was like yeah absolutely i would love to to talk to you and um you know i think i mentioned this uh off of the um podcast as we were getting set up but you caught me like at the perfect time I literally uh, just closed out my my last day uh, before uh, my bigger chunk of parental leave. I took like a short leave uh, when uh, my my baby was first born. But um, but yeah, I'm gonna be a full time dad for the next three months essentially. So that's awesome! Uh, Congratulations! Be, yeah, be, thank you. Yeah. yeah, so I'll be enjoying Pokemon Go on the sidelines as a fan. Um, and uh, yeah, you might see me more in uh, in GBL because of that. <laughs> Oh, bring it on. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So that was our episode with Michael. Uh, thank you for listening. And again, Michael, thank you for coming on. Um, we will see you next week in the next episode. Bye. Awesome. Have a good one.